rails. Um, but there were some things in the text that I, I do feel like I, I want to cover that we didn't get to, so I just want to review real quickly for those of you who weren't here and even those of you who were here last week, just to remind us, and then we'll jump, hopefully, into the flow of thought that Peter has for us. It's First Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 4 through, through 10. Last week, we began to look at verse 4, and here's what we saw last week is that God is building something. God is building something, and we as natural human beings are always caught up in what we're building, and there is an aspect and a truth to the fact that we are created in the image of God, and so uh, He has called us to glorify Him by building something, by using the talents and abilities, gifts, opportunities that we have to build something, but nothing that we build is as awesome as what God is building. What God is building is ultimate, and we saw last week in verse 6 that he says, in this quote from Isaiah 28, that behold, look, look at what I'm doing, look at what I'm building, God says. And he says that he is building a house, and this house is not a typical house because it's not made out of building materials, brick and mortar, but it's made out of people. Christ Jesus being the foundation, being the cornerstone, the living stone, as we saw in verse 4, and then we, like living stones, being built upon Christ with the life of Christ flowing up in us and through us. Remember I said last week that we are all upholding others and others are upholding us. Christ is upholding us all, but no one is upholding Christ. He is the source of all life because he is the living stone and we ourselves like living stones. He's the foundation. We are part of the structure of what he's building. But what we never fully got to and where Peter's taking it this morning and where I really want to... Um, uh, kind of base our thoughts and, and energies on this morning is, is the purpose of this building. So he, he's building it, and we saw what it was, what it was made of, Christ the foundation, us, the people as living stones in the structure, but what is the purpose of the building? The purpose of this spiritual building that he's building out of Christ and his people is that he would be rightly worshipped. That's the purpose for why he created everything. We're sitting in a building this morning uh, that's really a part of almost three buildings that are attached. You have the theater, you have the hotel, and you have the event center over on the other end. Each one of these spaces uh, was built with a specific purpose in mind. So if you wanted to come and get a good night's rest uh, after a hard day of being a tourist in Berlin and buying all sorts of crafty Amish-made knickknacks, uh, and, you, and you wanted to stay somewhere overnight, if this was the building like this, the theater that we're staying in, it wouldn't, the, the purpose, uh, the way this is built wouldn't really serve the purpose of you wanting to get a good night's rest, right? I mean, the, the, the cushiony chairs are comfortable, but you probably wouldn't want to sleep in them all night, right? The purpose, for that purpose, you want to go, you want to, go to the hotel, okay? Or if you want to have uh, a big uh, wedding reception with tables and lots of good food and all, and all that type of stuff, uh, you would want to use the event center, again, not the hotel or not this space, Correct? So you follow me? So, there's, so it, my, my point is, is that just in physical architecture and design, there ha, there's always a purpose behind what, you're, behind what you're building, okay? And in the same way, in the spiritual building that God is building, there's a purpose in his design. There's a purpose in building this spiritual temple, this spiritual building with Christ as the foundation and us as the structure, these living stones being fitted together by the master builder, and the purpose is worship. The purpose is that God would be rightly worshipped. And God, guys, this is, you can't get, I love talking about ultimate things, you can't get any more ultimate than what we're talking about this morning. 
Like you can't get any higher up. The end for which God created the world is that his son, Jesus Christ, would be worshipped as he deserves. And for any man to make it all about man, you think, man, that's kind of selfish. How can you make it all about you? But those rules fly out the door when you're talking about God. Because there's no being in all of the universe that is more glorious, more beautiful, more holy than God. And so God is right and just and good and pure in making it all about him. Because who else would you rather make much of this morning? Who else are you going to make much of? He is the most glorious being in all of the universe. And whether you acknowledge it or not, or whether you deny it, and that's, in fact, even if you deny it, we'll get to that here in the text in a little bit, that's addressed. Even if you deny it, it makes no difference. It is the purpose for which you were created. That purpose being to worship God. You can't get around it. You can ignore it. You can walk away from it. You can say, I ain't doing that. You ain't the boss of me, as my kids say. You ain't going to tell me what to do. Go for it. doesn't change the fact that that's the purpose for which you were created and for which we were created together. Is to worship, to worship God. And the reason, again, that he's using this image not just of individual stones off in their own separate place worshiping him, and that's true. We do worship him on our own individually throughout the week. But in order for God to be worshiped as he deserves, it requires that we worship him together. Is that he's more glorified, he's more worshiped to the uttermost, to the max, with everything that he deserves when we do it together as a group of people. And that's why you have all the plural language that you have, that we are like living stones into a spiritual house, being a holy priesthood, not just individual priests, that's true, but we're a priesthood. We're offering, offering spiritual sacrifices there in verse 5. Not just sacrifice, but sacrifices together. Okay? And he's knitting us together into a house. And what I want, one of the things that I want us to see in the text this morning is this, is that guys, because I, 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 I believe this will switch everything when you just can flip this switch. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us do that as we talk about it. But it's this is I want us to see worship as an ends, as the end, and not just a means. What I mean is like a little bit ago when we were singing, and again, singing is just one way that we worship. All of our lives, everything that we do, say, serve, uh, is to be worship. Um, but singing is one way that we worship. What we were doing just a little bit ago and singing those songs, singing those songs is not just a means to getting something else. Singing those songs is not just a means to prepare our hearts so that we can do something better. Singing those songs together is the end of everything. It's what we were created to do. As we're going to see in, the, in, in verse 9 this morning, that we were made to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's what we were made to do. There's nothing beyond that. And the reason I say that if we, if you can, if we can get that, if we can get that truth into our hearts, it completely shifts our worldview. Because every moment of every day, you have an opportunity to do what God has created you to do, namely to worship Him in every single moment. And so you don't just come to church this morning, well, I just, I just got to do this thing, you know, I got to put in my time this morning and, and I got to worship and I'm going to sing, I'm going to clap my hands, I might even raise my hand this morning, you know, and people might look at me, I mean, 
Don't makes me a little bit nervous. But you know, I, I'm going to do that because, man, I really got this thing in my life that I need God to take care of. And I really got this thing in my life that, you know, this prayer that I need answered. Or, well, you know, I didn't do so well this past week, and so I'm really going to come, and I'm really going to worship this morning to kind of make up for this shortcoming over here. That's not the way it works. Is that every moment we're simply made to just delight in him. And we worship him when we are satisfied in him. And even more specifically, when we are satisfied in him together as a people. That we're a people that, as we just sang about this morning, that are united in, around this act that God has accomplished in sending his son Jesus to die for us. Um, and what Peter's trying to get across to us this morning is that worship is not a means, it's an end. Uh, and he wants us just to embrace that. Let me get into the text and show you this again. We looked at verse 4 last week, but just start there with me so we can kind of pick up the flow of thought. He says, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Again, to be a holy priesthood. Why? What, what do we do? To offer spiritual sacrifices. What is that? That's worship. Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay? So, what is the spiritual sacrifices that we do as our act of worship? It's anything. It's anything that we do with a heart simply turned upward towards God. We were worshiping Him, I hope, couple minutes ago as we all sang. Carrie, can I get that one picture up on the screen? Will it help if I point to it? There we go. Um, we, were, we were worshiping a little bit ago. I don't think I have to try to convince any of you guys of that. This was yesterday. Uh, we, a bunch of guys from the church, we did a roof um, for a family that uh, just needed it. Um, out on the western end of the county. Uh, you know what's going on right there? Worship. Worship. Um, and that's, not a, that's not a boast or anything, but like it's, that's worship. That's just as much worship as what we were doing just a few minutes ago with you know, maybe hands raised or singing at the top of our lungs or whatever. It's worship unto him. It's a spiritual sacrifice. It's doing so. I don't, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I want to get to know the family more. We have some people here, Matt Rao is kind of the connection with that family out there and works with, with the lady. Um, I want to get to know them more, but I don't know them. I, like, I didn't, we didn't really do, and we did the roof for them, for sure. We did the roof for them. We, we wanted to love them because they needed it, and they're just kind of in a tough spot. Like, we wanted to do that, but ultimately we did it to God. It's worship. Guys, everything that you do, every moment of every day, the work that you're engaged in, whether you're a teacher or a factory worker or a doctor or a nurse or whatever, like everything is, can be worship when you do it unto the Lord, unto Him. And what Peter's saying here is that He's built us together, united us around the blood of Christ so that we could continually together 
offer these spiritual sacrifices. Or as Paul puts it in Romans, a very similar language, he says, I urge you therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that God has done, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Which is your spiritual act of worship. That every moment of every day, we have an opportunity to worship Him. Um, And this purpose that God has set forth, that He's ordained, said, my son will be worshiped. Okay? It cannot be stopped. Cannot be stopped. Even when people determine in their hearts that they absolutely will not do it. They still end up serving the purposes of God. That's how strong God's will and the purposes and ends for which he creates the world. Like when you're God, things are going to work out for you. You know that? (laughs) Um, And that's good news if you know that he's your father, uh, if you've received Jesus as your savior. Um, It's good news that things are going to work out for him that none of his purposes will ultimately be thwarted. And that's why he goes on here in verse 7 of 1 Peter. And again, why does he, so he's talking about worship, he's talking about sacrifices, all of us together doing it. Then verse 7, he says, the honors for you who believe, but then he throws this in here about those who do not believe. He says, but for those who do not believe, verse 7, he quotes from the Old Testament again, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Verse 8, end of verse 8, He says, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So the logic of what Peter's saying is going something like this. He's saying, okay, so you're telling me that God is going to be worshipped. This is the end for which he's created all things. Well, I reject that. I will not worship him. I will not bow the knee. I will not listen. I will not give him my life. I will not give him my heart. He has no right or claim over me. I will do what I want to do. Go for it, big dog. In the end, you will still serve the purposes of God. Because even if you reject him, the cornerstone, that will not stop him from ultimately being the cornerstone. You see what he's saying there? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I reject him. I will not build my life upon Christ. Doesn't change a thing. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible says in heaven and on earth and under the earth, everyone will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. But you have an opportunity right now to enter into the purpose for which you were created, which is to worship him. It's a privilege and it's a joy. And you will be happiest there because you were made to do this. You were made to worship him. You were not made to worship other stuff. We all worship anyway. It's just whether we're worshiping what we're supposed to be worshiping, which is, which is Jesus But Peter's point here is that you can reject him all you want and think that you're thwarting the purposes of God, think that you're going to stop the purposes of God. Folks, you ain't stopping nothing. Jesus Christ will be worshipped. He absolutely will be exalted, and nobody will ultimately stop that. John Piper and C.S. Lewis, um, John Piper, first of all, on this verse, just commenting on this. Maybe he probably says it clearer than I can. He says, in the end, God is triumphant in our belief and our unbelief. He is triumphant in our obedience and our disobedience. 
Human beings, whether good or evil, rejecting or accepting, believing or unbelieving, cannot thwart the ultimate purposes of God. The stone which the builders rejected has indeed become the cornerstone. I love C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, we all serve God inevitably, but it makes a difference whether you serve like Judas or whether you serve like John. Follow? Guys, we will not stop the purposes of God. Jesus Christ will be worshiped. He will get all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. And so, you know, the Bible, yes, it, it calls us to walk by faith and not by sight, and it calls us to offer spiritual sacrifices, that it, it costs us something. And, and yes, being a disciple uh, is difficult, um, very hard at times to respond as Jesus would have us respond in situations where maybe we're being wronged or, or justice is not being served, but to still just entrust ourselves to God. Um, all that is true, but in the end, nothing could be more logical. Like the most logical thing you could possibly do with your life is give all of your life to Jesus Christ because he owns it anyway. It's his as you hear me say all the time, as the Bible says in Daniel, he holds your very breath in his hand. By you thinking you're withholding something from him, it's still really his. Okay? And so, for the sake of your own joy, for the sake of your own joy, would you just give him your life this morning? And I'm not just saying that to you in this room that, that maybe have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. But Christian, Christ follower, give him your heart this morning. Don't hold back from him. Any part of anything in your life, give it to him for the sake of your own joy and his being worshipped in, in, in your joy. So, Jesus will be worshipped. It's not going to be stopped. And so Peter then, after kind of stating the negative about these folks in verses 7 and 8 about that, you know, think that they're resisting his purposes, he's saying he can't ultimately resist his purposes because God has decided to make the stone that was rejected the cornerstone, and you can't, you can't stop that. And then Peter goes on, and this is a very, I don't know that there are any two verses in all of the Bible that are more rich than 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Um, there's a ton in here. There's uh, kind of six distinct statements that he makes. Each one of them uh, could be talked ab about um, for many weeks. Uh, they're all rooted and grounded in very concrete imagery found in the Old Testament, uh, but we're going to go through them here in a couple minutes, okay, just to give you an overview. So please have your Bibles open and look at what Peter says next. Again, all, and all these would be kind of uh, grounds for what God has done, for why we are to worship, and also implications for our worship. And I'll try to explain what I mean by that as we go on. The first thing he says, and again, he just, he's just firing these off. I love Peter because I think, um, man, Peter, he wasn't just a teacher. He was a preacher. You know what I mean? There's a difference. And the pre I mean, he would just let it fly. And here he just comes in rapid machine gun style, just firing off these deep images rooted in the Old Testament. First of all, he says, you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. 
The implication being for our worship together is that we are to be a community that sees the source of our existence in the sovereign purposes of God. That we are to be a people, a community, that sees the source, the genesis of our existence in the sovereign purposes of God. It's like I said a little bit earlier when I was just talking about the love of God and just being overwhelmed by it this morning as we sang this morning. You know why he loved me? Just because he chose to love me. That's it. You know why he chose to love you? Just because he wanted to. Because as we sang in the first song, our God is love. He loves us just because. That our identity is who we are as the people of God is rooted and grounded in the fact that God just chose to love us even when we were unlovable. Ephesians chapter 2, that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive with Christ Jesus. And then Paul follows that up with, it is by grace that you've been saved. In other words, understand what grace is. You were dead and Jesus said, live! That's how you came to salvation. That's what God did through the preaching of the gospel, through somebody, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, using that gospel to grab hold of your heart. You were dead and you were made alive. And, and hear the idea that, of, of what Peter sings, that you are, a, you are a chosen people. You're a chosen people. Listen to what God says. And this is, again, this is all rooted and grounded in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Again, speaking specifically of the people of Israel, but Peter with apostolic authority here, applying it to the lives of everybody who has believed in Jesus, who is the better Israel, and now is true of us in Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, Behold, the Lord your God, to the, to the Lord your God belong heaven, even the heaven of heavens, the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord has set his heart in love on your fathers, and he chose their offspring after them. You, above all the peoples, this day. Isaiah chapter 43 he says, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. Did you know ostriches were in the Bible? It's true. Anyway, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Deuteronomy chapter 7, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now listen, <laughs> it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to our father. So if you trace it all the way back again, uh, um, Moses is saying this in Deuteronomy to the nation of Israel, which all came from Abraham. Abram, who became Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. And, and when you trace it all back here, and, and what, what he's saying, he goes, it, it's, I, I didn't choose you because you were a great tribe. You were the most poor ghetto tribe out there. <laughs> Abraham and Sarah were barren. And, all of a sudden, and as you read the narrative in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11, Abraham is not mentioned anywhere. And what you have is people sinning and God dealing with that sin and the Noah and the flood and wiping them out. And then, you know, even though he gives humanity another chance, humanity immediately, you know, goes to the Tower of Babel and says, we will make a name great for us. And all of a sudden God says, I'm going to go about this. I'm going to go about this differently. Not that he didn't know this already, but again, just allowing this to play out throughout history so that we'd understand his ways and his power. But all of a sudden in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham's not mentioned all, anywhere, but then all of a sudden, the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, God just comes to this man. 
and his wife Sarah, who this little ghetto tribe, they could have no children, could have no kids. And just out of nowhere, God says, I will make you great. And I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And if you're a critical reader and you're you're like, okay, why? What What did Abraham do? Why did Abraham gain this favor? Why did God come to him? And see, that's the way we think. Because when God shows favor, we're always like, okay, what, man, what did they do? Because I want to be able to do that so I, can, you know, so I can get some favor too. You will search in vain to find it, folks. Abraham did nothing. And that's what Moses is restating to the nation of Israel. Now, hundreds of years later, after God had taken this, little, this barren couple and made them into a great nation. He's reminding them, he said, there was nothing in you to make God love you. He chose to love you just because he wanted to love you. And to reveal to the world that he's good. And that he loves those who are unlovable and he blesses those who deserve no blessing. And this should affect our worship when we come together every single time that this is the testimony of every single one of us. Are you with me? That when we, that when we worship, this is why we sing that God is most glorified in a people that come together all with this understanding, this and everything else that, that Peter's going to roll out here for us. That when we come together and we sing and we praise and, and we're thankful for what God has done, he hasn't done anything in our lives because we deserved it. It is all because of his grace. Amen? Anybody? And, and, and I, I know that we know, like we know this, but it's easy sometimes to think that, well, yeah, no, no, I, I mean, God loved me because my mama went to church, my daddy went to church, and my grandpa went to church, and my grandma went to church. No? Or it's easy to say, well, no, God, God's going to, he's going to save my kids because I'm a good parent. No. No. If your kids know Jesus, it's because of God's grace not because of your good parenting, although we're, we're for good parenting, okay? Like, do it, but it, in the end, God gets, God gets all the glory. He goes on, second thing he says is, not only are we a chosen race, but we're a royal priesthood. Um, if I had to sum this up, I would say we're to be a community that is keenly aware of living our lives in the presence of God. So, we were created again to worship and priests, so priests in the Old Testament, the sons of Aaron and Levi, uh, they would minister in the temple, okay, where God's presence dwelt in the Old Testament. And everything they were to do in the temple, they did a lot of things that the people outside uh, of the priesthood didn't, didn't see. I mean, they knew what they were doing, but they didn't really watch it. But so the, the point is, is that you would go about your life as a priest knowing that what you were doing, the reason you were doing it, was you, you were just doing it unto the Lord. You, there, there was no crowd around, you know, you know as you, like, you know, would light the, the candles and stuff, um, the menorah in the temple. There was no crowd going, whoo, good job. There's no, nobody doing that. As a priest, you were just ministering unto God. And what Peter's saying here is that he saved us and he's made us a royal priesthood. Again, that, so you've got priesthood and you've got royalty. Is that God, this God that we serve in the presence of, he's also the king. Is that we have opportunity every day, every one of us, to live and to serve in the Lord's presence. Um, and it's a privilege and it's a joy. 
Again, in Exodus chapter 19, God, uh, when he, he brings them out of Egypt, he says to him, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Now I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we don't have time to look into this, but as God called them out to the mountain then, the people came out to the mountain and God's presence had come down and there was an earthquake and a dark cloud and because God was hiding his glory because he can't fully see his glory and live. And, um, anyway, but the people get freaked out and they don't really want to come up and they can't because it's just the law and Christ has not come yet. But now that Christ has come, every single one of us has an opportunity to minister, to live every day in the presence of God knowing that what we do, we do unto him, and it's good, um, and it's a joy and a privilege. Third, he calls us a holy nation. Again, all the, there's a lot of overlap with these things, but being holy just simply means to be, to be set apart. You'll remember as we've been, again, reading through this letter, um, sometimes you go week to week, there's a lot in it, so we go slow, but yet sometimes we've got to go back and review because we forget what all said before, and just in the last chapter, several sentences ago, he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. Uh, back down in, uh, in verse 5 that we just read earlier, we're to be a holy priesthood. And now here he says we're a holy nation. Holy, this literally means just set apart. Just set, set apart, okay? Um, that we're to be holy, we're to be set apart. And, we, and, and the implication for us and in our worship is, guys, we're to be a community that embraces this. Holiness is not bad news. Holiness is good news, um, it's an opportunity to be set apart for the purposes of God. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, again, verse 6, you are to be a holy people to the Lord, to the Lord your God. In the New Testament, one of my favorite stories, Peter and John heal a guy in Acts chapter 3. Uh, of course, the religious folks don't like this because the religious folks don't know what to do when supernatural stuff happens because religious folks can do a lot of stuff, but they can't do supernatural stuff, and so it freaks the religious people out. And so, uh, you know, they heal a guy, which is a good thing, but then they have Peter and John arrested because they're not, they, they can't control this. And so they go before the religious guys, Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, uh, and they call in Peter and John and they say, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are to be examined today concerning a good deed done for a crippled man, by what means this has been by, by what means he has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you builders, but it's become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. And then verse 13, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, in other words, like just by natural smarts, they weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer, okay? They were uneducated, common men. They were astonished, but they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. Now that idea there of them recognizing that they had been with Jesus. He said, well, man, there's something different about these guys. What's different about these guys? These guys have been with Jesus. That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart, guys, to be a holy nation. 
for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, I, the only thing, and there might be other things, peripheral things that feed into this one thing, but the only thing that I want us to be known for is that we would be a people that have been with Jesus. Are you with me? Guys, that's, that's it. I don't want to be known as a church where they don't have a building and they meet in a theater. And probably the only church in America and probably the world with an outhouse on stage. It's true. I, don't, I bet you there's nobody else. Maybe somewhere. I want to be known for that. I want to be known as a people that love Jesus. That when we talk, we can't help but talk about Jesus and about what he's done. See, my point here is, is that, guys, holiness is not some sort of unicorn that's out there. And by you know, I mean something that, you know, this mythical figure that we doesn't really exist, but we're always chasing it. Just talk about Jesus. And you will be practically, as you are already positionally, set apart. The world will recognize, even if they don't like it, even if the religious folks don't like it, talk about Jesus. Fourth, he says, a people for his own possession. This goes hand in hand with it. But the language here, and we could spend a whole bunch of time on this because I'm pretty sure this one would really rub us the wrong way (laughs) if we really got into it. A people for his own possession. Okay? Who owns you? Who owns you? From that verse, who owns you? Do you own you? Or does somebody else own you? Who owns you? Yeah. God owns you. And that's the like, there's no way around it. Like, you can try, well, maybe that's not really what it means. No, that's what it means. When it says he possesses you, it means he possesses you. He, he, he owns you. Um, belong. And again, if, if, if you're born again, then that's good news. Uh, because it is better to be a slave. It is infinitely better to be a slave in the kingdom of God than to be free in the kingdom of this world. There is no greater joy than to be a slave to Jesus Christ um, and to be owned by him because he is a good master. He's a perfect master. He's a master who is willing to lay down his life for us so that we could know that we could trust him and that his ways and that his ways are high. Um, I want to come back to the next one that's listed, but jump down to verse 10. Uh, This is very graphic. Verse 10 is directly from the book of Hosea. The language is undeniable. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Does anybody know what went on in Hosea? Hosea was a prophet. God comes to Hosea the prophet, and he says, Hosea, my prophet, I have a job for you. I want you to go marry a prostitute. I want you to go marry an immoral woman. And I want you to be committed to her even though she will not be committed to you. And so uh, in Hosea chapter 1, Hosea and this woman have have a couple kids. And as they have these kids, um, and again, well, let me pause here. Because the reason God is doing this is because God's saying, Hosea, the, the reason I want you to do this as a prophet, and prophets would many times have to play things out, play out in, in the physical world what's going on in the spiritual world. So the job of a prophet was to make what's going on in heaven known on earth. And so um, God says, Hosea, the reason I want you to do this is because I need a picture 
of what it's like to be married to you as my people because you're continuously committing spiritual adultery towards me. So anyway, God tells, God tells Hosea to marry uh, this lady named Gomer. Again, not a, not a great name either. Um, Gomer is his wife, and she's a prostitute. And so they have a couple kids. And Hosea chapter 1 says she conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy. And again, in the Hebrew, it's like lo rahomai or something, but it's, her name means no mercy. The Lord said, said to him, call her name no mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Verse 7, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them uh, by the Lord their God. I will not save them by, by bow or by sword, but by, or by war or by horses or by horsemen. Um, and it says, when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived again. So Gomer has another kid. And the Lord said, this time I want you to call his name not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Now you're like, whoa, Eric, <laughs> I thought you were telling me about the love of God here. What's, what's going on? Well, here's what's going on, is that God, again, needs a picture of just what Israel and us as well, all of humanity, of what we deserve. And what we deserve is no mercy, and what we deserve is to not be his people. Okay, that's why he has Hosea play this, play out this living parable. But then in Hosea chapter 2, God comes back around and he says, In that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer the grain and the wine, the oil, and they shall answer from Jezreel. And here's what he says. He says, And I will sow for her mercy in the land and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. So let me pause here and just hang with me here, okay? Because we've got to get this imagery, but I know it might be a lot to take in. But listen, so you're like, well, why, why does God do that? Like, why does he, why does he say, I'm not going to forgive you anymore, then later on come back, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to forgive you. Like, is God like schizophrenic? No. But he's trying to, to, to bring us into the experience of what it's like to be God, that I hold out my hand faithfully to this people all day, and yet they continually reject me for other lovers when I want to be the lover of their soul. And he says, you, you don't deserve mercy. That should be your name. Names in the Bible are always connected to your character. Or had, names always had like prophetic meaning for what you deserve or what your life was going to be like. He says, here, here's your name, no mercy. Here's your name, not my people. But even though we don't deserve mercy and even though we don't deserve his people, what does he come back and do? He says, as Peter picks up on here, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's how this plays into our worship as a community. Guys, very simple. Every time we come together, every time we come together, we should be absolutely amazed by the grace of God. Every time. Every time. It should never get old. And the reason we should be amazed by it when we all come together is because we should be living lives individually by ourselves throughout the week that are amazed by it. Every moment. Always amazed, always amazed by him. Worship team, you can come up and we'll begin to close. And I'll very quickly just share this last one. This is sandwiched right in the middle. And again, there's truth here of what God has done, but this is the implication, and it's kind of a summary. 
implication of all that he's, that he's been saying, that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and that we've received mercy when we absolutely positively did not receive mercy. Why? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who, of what? who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Um, this is why we exist, that we're to be a community that unashamedly rejoices in God's goodness uh, because we remember what it was like to walk in darkness. For those of you that know Christ Jesus this morning, I just want to ask you that as we close. Because sometimes we forget. In Second Peter, in Peter's other letter, he talks about, he uses the word uh, nearsighted, being nearsighted or, 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 or farsighted. Um, and he talks about that those who are nearsighted have, have forgotten have forgotten what they've been saved from. And I think that's part of the job of what the church is to be is that when we come together every single time, we're to remember just exactly what God has saved us from. And what Peter kind of says here at the end of verse 9, he says, don't forget, don't forget that you used to walk in darkness. You used to walk in darkness. But in his mercy, he's called you into his marvelous light. And our job is simply to proclaim just how excellent this is, just how great it is that once we were in darkness, but now we're in the light. I've done a lot of stupid things in the darkness in my life. Um, before I knew God, there was no purpose. Uh, there was no real understanding. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of frustration. Um, even just in the natural realm, I've done a lot of stupid stuff in the darkness. One time we were toilet papering a friend's house. This is going to be a great story to end on. Uh, we were toilet papering a friend's house and uh, back in high school. I would never do that now, just for the record. But um, I remember somebody came outside and so I was running away as fast as I could. And as I was running, there was literally a clothesline hanging there. And... Um, and I, I don't want to make it sound like I was really fast, but I think I must have been pretty fast, at least back then. Because I had, and, and again, it was dark, and I didn't see it at all. You know, you ever run into something when, like, you just, you, you don't have any pause at all? And I was running, and that thing caught me right there in the neck. And my feet kept going, but my head, but my head stopped. But I literally ripped down the clothesline, which is not, which is not a hard thing to do. Or, or which is a hard thing to do, but... But that picture right there of running into something that's right in front of you, that's what it's like to walk in the darkness. And guys, because we're in Christ Jesus, that's not how we have to walk anymore. Yes, things happen in our life that we don't understand, that we don't always have an explanation for. But when we walk in the light as he is in the light, he walks with us. And he has great purposes for us. And in the end, all we have to do is just proclaim how good it is to be in the light. Are you thankful to be in the light this morning if you know Jesus as your Savior? And if you're not, if you feel that you're in the darkness this morning, I just want to let you know that there's only one thing you can do to come into the light, and that is simply to give your life to Jesus Christ. That's it. And do that by faith. Do it by faith. Just say, God, here it is. I give you 
my life as a living sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your mercy. Thanks for your grace. Thank you for calling us out.